All right, everybody, how's it going? Can you guys all hear me okay? The mic on? Everything doing fine? Cool, cool. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, See Me Church, where our mission here is to love God and love people. Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving, a little bit of time to relax this week. Um, for those of you who may not know, my name is Kyle Popic, part of the uh, internship program that we have here between See Me and Shoreline Churches. And before we go ahead and dive into what I'm going to talk about today, I just want to take a, take a moment to just say thank you. Because the internship program started back in the summer, and it's been kind of a, a crazy fun experience, you know, and there's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs with it, and God's really used it just to personally grow me and, and challenge me and train me in a lot of ways that have just been phenomenal. And I know that if, uh, if Josh and Rebecca were here, they'd say the same, you know, but he, he's done even more with that. He's built a unity and just a camaraderie and identity within the campus that hasn't existed really since I've been a part of it. And, you know, it's God who does those things. It's God who it moves those mountains. But in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's your generosity that's made that a possibility. Right. And so I just I wanted to thank you because I'm only up here because you guys are willing to give. And so I appreciate that. I want you to know um, that doesn't go without, without being noticed. But with that said, I want to go ahead and dive in um, to what we're going to be talking about today. And today we're going to be talking about shining as a star. Last, uh, last time I preached a few weeks back, if you guys were here... I talked about running our race in such a way as to win the prize. And just the way that God directed me, it was really on my heart, not so much to talk about practical Christianity, but to talk more about our motivations and why we do what we do as Christians. Today, though, I want to take a little bit of a different spin on it. And we're basically just going to look. I only really have three practical things about how to live out our relationships with one another so that as a church, we shine like a star. So that's what we're talking about today. Without any further ado, if you guys would go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. I'm going to have it up on the screen for you as well. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing uh, straight through, and then we'll slow down and take it uh, piece by piece. But starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God in a excuse me, children of God in a without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And I know that's a lot, and there's a lot in there. And I, I wanted to read it just straight through so that way you guys kind of get an idea of the full picture. But before we dive in, we're only going to pull three practical things that Paul implores the Philippian church to do. But before we do that, I want to just back up and talk about the context, because if we don't understand what Paul's really doing here, you're not going to get the full grasp of the points he's making. So I want to go ahead and take a moment just to look at verses 12 and 13. I'm going to have it up on the board for you guys because the context of this passage is actually really framed within these first two verses. Paul uses these two verses as a launching pad to kind of dive into the rest of what he's going to say. So the first thing I want to look at is that word therefore in verse 12, that first word. Because throughout his ministry, Paul wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches, and he used a lot of therefores. <laughs> he, wrote, he, he liked that word. But what he was doing, every time Paul uses, or almost every time, he uses a therefore, what he's really doing is Paul would start 
trying to explain some spiritual point, maybe an argument or a teaching, and he would list out everything about that point. And then as he was wrapping that up, he would transition, and then he would start talking about, okay, now that I've taught you this, this is how you should live. And the therefore is what he would use as that transition. So basically, because of this, therefore live like that. And so that's where we're picking up the story. We're picking up the story right as Paul is finishing out a long request that he's making to the Philippian church. And we're going to look at a couple of things he asked them to change about their relationships. Before we do that, I want to look at what Paul's asking them to change. Because starting back in chapter 1 of Philippians, in verse 27, he writes to the church, imploring them, exhorting them, you know, all those different things to change how they treat each other. And there's three main spiritual things that Paul is really focusing on. And the first one he focuses on is for them to be humble towards one another, considering each other better than themselves. The second thing he implores them to focus on is to have a selfless love for one another, looking out for others' needs. And the last thing he implores them on is to be unified, to be of one mind and spirit. And so he, he does all this, and he starts that in verse chapter 1, excuse me, continues it through the end of the chapter into chapter 2. And just before we pick up in verse 12, uh, in verses 5 to 11, just above this, Paul uses an example of Jesus' life, saying, because he lived like this, so should we. So we're going to pick it up here. Uh, this is verse 12. So he, now he's, he's made his argument, and he's starting to list his practicals. The last real phrase I want to dig in on in order to get the full context of what Paul's saying here is that little phrase in verse 12 after the line there, that continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because okay. this is actually a passage that's been misinterpreted at times. I think it's easy because of the language and the way it reads in English. But I want to go ahead and explain what this passage is saying by first telling you what it's not. Okay. When Paul talks about salvation and continue to work out your salvation, he's not referring to salvation in the traditional sense you might think of the word. You, know, you might think of you know passing from darkness to light, death to life, you know, getting saved. That's all great, and that's what salvation is, but in this case, that's not what Paul's referring to. And if you were to translate it, you know, from the Greek a little bit more clearly, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but it would be something like this. It would be something like, because of your salvation, work out how you should treat one another. Wow. And he uses that little phrase with fear and trembling, kind of just as a quick call back to what he just did, uh, by showing Jesus' example, saying, hey, remember that we should do this out of respect for God. Okay. So that's what we're going to go ahead and do. And we're going to start diving in here, but I want to make one last quick stop in verse 13. Personally, verse 13, that's been a passage that I always go to in my life. And there's a, I, I believe you could preach a whole sermon just on that verse, but I only want to touch it very lightly because I think it's kind of cool what Paul's doing here. He knows he's about to talk to the Philippians about changing how they live. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience as a Christian, but I know I have. Sometimes the Bible calls you to change. Sometimes that's what happens. And that's not always fun. (laughs) And so I think what Paul's doing here is he knows he's about to do that. So he's giving them this little encouragement before we dive in, saying, hey, just remember that it's God who works inside of you to want to do his will and to live more like Christ. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and dive in um, to the first practical that I have for you this morning in flip. Ooh, what did I just do? <laughs> what, why do I do it? Oh, technology is not my forte, guys. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Never would have thought I'd have Joe help me with technology, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you, bro. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll make sure to hit the right button from now on. <laughs> But we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 14. 
And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I put 14 to 16 on the board for you guys because I want you to be able to read it within the full thought because 14 to 16 kind of are one complete thought. I'm only going to read the bolded section that we have there, which says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And I want to take some time to sit on this because this point, of all the points I had, this one intrigued me the most when I was just reading the, reading the word, reading the scriptures and trying to learn the lesson. This is the point that caught me the most because it took me a little off guard. I was like, out of all things, if I was going to try to start training a church, the first place, the first thing I would say would not be don't complain. Right. You know? And it caught me a little off guard because I was thinking, okay, well, why does Paul do that here? And if you're anything like me, um, I kind of had one of two reactions when I read this. I, I've read this scripture plenty of times before, and I, I either, the first thing I can do is things like complaining. I think we'd all admit we've done it. Yeah. Right, And I think all of us would say, sure, it's not the most godly thing in the world, but it, it's not that bad. You know, and I think sometimes in my life I can write off complaining because I'm like, you know, I'll focus on the big ones, right? I'll focus on being honest. I'll focus on reading my Bible, being loving, complaining. All right. But that's not what God says here through the scriptures. Right. But I also sometimes, I've, I've read the scripture and I've had a second reaction. And sometimes it does hit me, and I do think about the power of do everything. And I think about how often, if I were to look at my life, I don't do everything. <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to address it because it seems intimidating, so I kind of just step around it, and maybe I'll focus on the next part of the Scripture and kind of ignore that point. But I want to take some time because Paul thought this was important enough to put first. And so while I was kind of just praying and preparing for this lesson and seeing where God wanted to, to do with it, a couple of different realizations hit me about this verse. And I, I, I have three different reasons why I think Paul would put this here, and I want to share them with you this morning. But for the first one, I want to do something a little bit different. Hopefully hopefully you guys are awake. Hopefully you've had your coffee, you know. But I want to just kind of take your imaginations for a moment. I want to go on a journey back a couple thousand years, and I want to ask that each one of us today, let's imagine that we were beggars in ancient Palestine. And imagine what that looked like. And I'll try to paint the picture real quick. But the first thing I think about is if you're in the ancient world, and you're in the Middle East, and you're in the desert, there's no AC. There's, there's no air conditioning, and you're outside. You have no shelter from that, right? You can't buy long clothes, fancy clothes to trap in the wind. So you, your skin is exposed to the sun 24-7. The next thing that I thought about when I was thinking about what it would be like to live then is I thought about um, the sewer systems that they have there. <laughs> because if you don't know the ancient world, they didn't have them. <laughs> and so what they would do is they would build the roads a little rounded, so that that way, if an animal or a human did something in the middle of the street, it would kind of just roll to the side. <laughs> the, the unfortunate truth is, if you were a beggar, where do you sit? Right. You sit right there in the side. Right. And so I thought there might be a couple pungent aromas that you're around all the time. You might get diseases from being forced to sit with that. And I thought about this is your life. And you're boiled by the sun. You're getting sick. You, everything's horrible. And every single day... All you do is watch people who have more than you go by your face all the time. And then I want to talk about the religious leaders of the day, the people that society would have held up as, as the model and as close to God as you can be. What they preach is that you're actually there because you deserve to be. And that you must be poor because you did something to invoke God's wrath. So actually, that's deserved. And they preach that you're wicked, that you're evil, and you're not to be associated with. So nobody does. They walk past you every day. And I was thinking to myself, if I were in that place, it'd be pretty easy for my heart to get bitter. 
and for me to start to grumble and mutter and start to hate every selfish person that walked past me. And as I was kind of thinking about these words and kind of realizing, you know, praying about what I wanted to say, last week, Joseph Nealon preached. And if you weren't here, he preached on the story of the prodigal son. And one of the points, he had a couple of different points in his lesson, but one of, one of his points that I liked that really resonated with me was people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And I thought that was cool, and I started to think about why. And I think we spend a whole lot of time talking about everything Jesus did so that those people would like him, and I think that's fair. You know, we talk about, I think if I were to ask you guys, what did Jesus do for the poor? You could give me a lot of answers. You know, he fed them, he clothed them, he healed them. He was probably the first person to really pay attention to them. And I think we spend so much time focusing on what Jesus did do that we forget and we can miss what he didn't do. And what I mean by that is if you're a beggar, no one associates with you. So you probably only talk to other, other, excuse me, other beggars. And they're probably just as bitter and just as negative as you. And so I think about your human interactions. It's nothing but complaints and bitterness and pain and anger. And so imagine that one day you're sitting there and, you know, maybe you've heard the name Jesus before. Travelers coming by on the streets, they've mentioned it. You don't really know what it's about, but it's at least familiar to you. And one day he comes to your town. And, I, you know, maybe you're sitting there like, you know what, I'm not making any money here anyway. What else do I got to do? I might as well go see what he's saying. So you go. And I was just wondering, kind of to Joe's, Joe's point from uh, last week, what would have been so attractive? And, and here's my first point. Here's, the, here's one of the first reasons I think Paul would have said don't complain or argue, is that People like people who don't complain. Right. <laughs> I mean, you ever noticed that? Yeah. You ever been around someone who just doesn't complain? They're just happy. You feel energized. You feel a little bit uplifted. Maybe your day's not so bad after you spend some time with them. Right. And you can search every red letter in the Bible, but you'll never find Jesus complain. That's right. Never find it. And I think that if I were to go there that day, that would be something that would catch my attention. Because think about the opposite. Think about people who do complain. Right. I'm sure all of us can think about people in our lives, friends, coworkers, at times, children, your spouse. When they complain and they argue and they're bitter, you don't really want to be around them too much. Right. And I think that's the first reason that Paul would say, don't complain, don't argue amongst one another. There's another reason, and this one actually, I almost feel like God just kind of gave me this reason. I discovered it accidentally, but for those of you who might not know, I, um, I work as a delivery driver at Topper's Pizza. And so I spend my nights driving pizzas all over town. And every Saturday I close the store. And I close from, you know, that means I work from about 6 to midnight, 1 a.m. So it gets late and you get tired. And I always close with this guy named Matt. So he and I, we built a pretty good relationship over the last couple months. And one of these Saturdays, it was just, it was just dead slow. It was just absolutely empty. You know, we had um, 25 drivers in the store and two orders in like four hours. <laughs> So it gets boring, you know, and you kind of, there's not, there's only so much you can do, right? You can bust tables or sweep and all that kind of stuff. And for the first couple hours, it's not so bad, but I'm sure all of us have been there at a day at work where it feels like the clock's kind of going backwards, you know, <laughs> you start to get tired and people start to annoy you. And that's kind of what was happening. And as the night went on, there's only about three or four drivers left and that's one of them. And they form a circle in the back in the kitchen and they start to kind of just gripe and complain. They start to talk about how dumb the managers are for scheduling um, so many drivers. Because it, it was during that first week when the fires hit. So they were, they were talking about how stupid the managers were for scheduling so many people while there's fires. They were complaining about a couple other things. And I went to go start complaining with them. 
And the only reason I didn't, I was walking over and I stopped and I turned around and I said to go back out and keep sweeping. The only reason I didn't was because I thought, you know what, if I stand there, it's going to go even slower. If I sweep, at least maybe I'll get distracted. A customer might bug me for something and I can waste 10 minutes. And so I just, you know, I spent a little bit more time sweeping in the outside while they were back there complaining. And eventually they send me and Matt on break. And so we, we sit down and we're kind of just having a conversation. And halfway through, he, Matt kind of stops and he says, you know what, Kyle, you're different. And I, I stop and I said, well, what do you mean? Because I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't like to hear that I'm different. <laughs> if you're trying to give me a compliment, don't say that. And so, exactly, exactly. So I was like, well, what do you mean? And, he, and, you know, he's like, no, I mean it in a good way. He's like, I was watching today, and I noticed, and, you know, you, you were sweeping and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I kind of shrugged it off. I didn't think much of it. Um, I was kind of going through a couple things that week, so I wasn't really there. And, you know, he's like, no, no, no. But while you were doing it, you were smiling. <laughs> and I hadn't realized I was smiling. To be honest, I never thought about it, but he noticed it. And so I was like, yeah, I guess I was. And he stopped. He's like, no, 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 Kyle, Why? <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at him, and I, you know, I wasn't there, but when he said that, you know, I felt really, God just really put something on my heart to say. So what I answered him back, and I said, Matt, listen, at the risk of sounding corny, does it really matter if you have a slow night, but Jesus still loves you? Right. Does it really matter if I'm not going to make a whole lot of money on a Saturday night, but I still have God? Right. And he started laughing because he thought I was kidding. And I was like, no, 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 man, I'm being serious. That's my honest answer to you. That's why. And he was just stunned. Like he, he, he just, he just, he just stared like for 10 seconds. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. I guess so. <laughs> and for a second, I don't know what to do, but it actually, it caught him off guard. And for the rest of the time we were sitting there, we had a really cool conversation just about God and about Jesus. And eventually our managers come, our breaks over, we close out the store. And it wasn't really until I got in my car and I was praying. Um, I was praying to God, I was praying thank you, because that was kind of a hard time, that was a lot going on, and that conversation took a good, bad night to a good one. Amen. But halfway through that conversation, I realized something. Because I, I wasn't trying to do anything different, I didn't deserve any credit. You know, I didn't even notice what I did, but he did. And God was able to use that opportunity. And here's what I realized, because this, this verse was kind of in the back of my mind, is that as Christians, if, if we complain and we argue about the same things that non-Christians do, why would they ever waste their time becoming a Christian? Because obviously it makes no difference. That's right. That's what hit me. I have one last point that I want to share with you guys about why I think Paul would start with saying, do everything without complaining and arguing. And so I just want to talk a second because I think complaining, arguing, bickering, muttering, grumbling, whatever word you want to use, for some reason it just has such an innate power to sink its teeth just into our hearts, into our minds, and before we know it, it can really poison how we treat people. And I think there's very few things that can divide and fracture a church quicker than muttering and grumbling and bickering. Because you've got to remember, the main focus, Paul, he's talking about overall Christian conduct, but he's really emphasizing relationships with one another. And so what he's really saying is do not argue against one another. Do not bicker and bite each other. Because, you know, think about it. You know, if you're a parent today, think about when your kids fight one another, right? You know, I haven't experienced that yet. I can experience what it's like to fight your brother. But, you know, I, I can imagine what that would feel like, you know, as you watch one of your children accuse or attack the other. 
and then you watch the, the pain register on your other child's face, and then you watch their reaction change from, from pain to anger, and they bite back. Right. And that's how God feels when we do that to one another. Right. Yep. And I think the real shame of what happens is when we grumble, when we complain, not only do we cause division, do we cause hurt and pain, but I think, and if this has ever happened to you, you know what I'm talking about, but I think sometimes it can hurt the most when someone in the church grumbles against you. I think sometimes that can cut the deepest. And so I just want to close out by saying that I think the main reason that Paul would say do everything without complaining or arguing is that these acts have nothing to do with living like Christ. We're going to keep going. I'm going to put 14 to 16 back up on the board. And this time I'm going to, I'm going to read the whole um, three verses again because I want you guys to see the flow. We're going to focus in on that next bolded phrase, the phrase, as you hold out the word of life. But I'm going to go ahead and reread it. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Here, blameless and pure are the fruit of not arguing. Then right. it says, you will be like children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Then he goes on to say, in this generation, you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Excuse me. And I want to stop here because this is kind of the next action that Paul implies on part on the part of the Philippians. And the way he writes it, he kind of writes it quickly, almost like an assumption that the Philippians are already actively doing this. But I want to stop for a moment. And I want to talk about what that means, hold out the word of life. Because if we reread it again, it's that you will shine like stars as you do this. In other words, if you're not doing it, you won't shine. And, you know, it might seem kind of funny, and at least I thought it was actually kind of interesting when I was researching and just studying out this sermon. Um, that phrase, as you hold out the word of life, it's actually the context of some pretty intense debate among theologians. And I want to share this with you because I think their debate brings out a really cool idea about what it means to hold out the word of life. And I'm going to summarize it quickly, but basically the debate's over that verb there, hold out. And the verb in the Greek is a verb called uh, ep. Epoch. It's, I'm not an ancient Greek scholar, but it sounds like epoch. And so, as you look at this verb, it really has two meanings. And it's kind of a unique verb. As far as I'm aware, as far as I've been able to research and study, this is the only time Paul ever used it in any of his letters. He used it once. He used it here. And the debate is between whether the verb really means to hold out or hold fast to. And both can kind of both impressions can kind of fit the context of the passage. Both work. Right. So there's a really big debate on which one did Paul mean. And so here's the difference. Here's, here's the point why. Is scholars and theologians who support the hold out version argue that Paul's being more evangelical here, that what he's really saying is you will shine like a star as you hold out the word to non-Christians around you. Other scholars and other theologians who say hold fast argue a more personal relationship with God and that that's what really what Paul is imploring the Philippians to have here. And that kind of you will, as you hold fast to the word in your own life, you will naturally shine. And those are kind of the two schools of thought. But if you, will, if you guys will allow me to say it, I, actually, I think that theologians get it wrong a little bit. Okay. You know, and I know that's a kind of a bold statement, but I think sometimes you can get a little too into the weeds and a little too into right, right. different accusative nouns and all these different contexts that you miss what, what's trying to be said here. And I'm speculating, but theologians would argue that they're kind of, you can have one or the other, that they're exclusive. And I disagree. I think that they're actually mutually inclusive. Right. Right. And what I mean by that is you can't really hold out what you don't hold fast to. Right. 
You know, it doesn't make sense. But the same is also true. If, if you're really holding fast to it, then you would hold it out. And I'm speculating here, but I almost wonder if Paul intentionally chose to use that verb to kind of communicate both meanings simultaneously. And to communicate this idea that it's really more of a balance that feeds off one another than one or the other. And I want to talk about that. And there's really two aspects of holding fast that I want to share with you today. And theologians on both sides, they agreed on these two aspects at least. And they're simple points. But I think they're worth repeating here today. And the first aspect, I've kind of already said, but you cannot hold fast to what you do not know. So my first question is how is your relationship to the Word? Because whatever you're trying to be today, I tell this to the campus guys sometimes, whatever you're trying to be, if you're, you know, you're trying to reach out to somebody in your life, help them become a Christian, maybe you're trying to be a loving father and a good spiritual example, maybe you're trying to be a caring and supportive wife and mom, maybe you're trying to be a godly employer or employee. I don't know what your situation is this morning, but here's what I do know. If you're not holding fast to the Word, any other efforts you put towards that are worthless. we got to get this right first. And Paul says it quickly because I don't think it takes much explaining, but I wanted to stop because I think it's so important. And sometimes we hear it so much it can go in one ear and out the other. So I ask you this morning, whether you're a year old as a Christian or 45, how is your relationship to the Word? But holding fast to the word, reading the Bible, is really only half the battle. There's a second aspect to holding fast. And James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, he talks about this point. We don't have to turn there. It's a very famous passage. I'm just going to say it for you guys. But it's James 1.22, and he talks about this idea of holding fast to the word. And here's what he says. He says, do not be merely hearers of the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the second aspect, you guys, because you can read all day long, but if you don't put that into practice, if you don't obey, That's right. you're not going anywhere. Right. That's the second point that I want to make to you guys today. If we talk about holding fast, how do you obey how God calls you to be in your different relationships, in your families, with one another in this room? The reason I wanted to talk about this, you guys, it's a simple, simple point, but it's important, is because... When we do this, when we hold fast to the word, when we obey it in our lives and put it into practice with one another, what we really do, I did it again. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. All right. What we really do, you guys, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm going to look down at this thing now. But um, what we really do is that by holding fast to the word, we direct both the lost and the saved in our lives closer to God. Amen. And that's what it's about as Christians. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to start coming to a close. I have one more practical for you guys this morning to share. And that's going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And this, this one, Paul doesn't state, but he illustrates it through his own life. And here's what he says. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And here's what Paul's exhibiting. He's already talked about it. He spent, like I told you earlier, he spent the first chapter of Philippians asking them to be more like this. And the aspect that he's describing is a selfless love for others and being self-sacrificial in the way you care for other people. 
And Paul does this by illustrating, he paints a picture, basically. And he uses this imagery before. He refers to himself as a drink offering. He uses that imagery a couple other times in his letters. And every single time that he does, he, um, he's referring to his coming martyrdom and to his death. And I want to stop and talk for a moment and explain kind of the idea of the drink offering because Paul doesn't choose that arbitrarily. He was part of the Jewish tradition, and in the Jewish faith, what you would do is when you would sin, you would go and you would sacrifice an animal in order to receive forgiveness. And so what they would do is they would take whatever animal was needed, they would kill it, they prepare the meat, and they lay it on the altar. And after they were done with that, before they would sacrifice it, they would take wine, and they would kind of just pour it over the meat. And the purpose of this is it was supposed to make the sacrifice sweeter and more pleasing to God. And so that's the imagery that Paul's drawing here. He's kind of, he's positioning himself as that wine. And he's positioning the faith of the Philippians as the meat. So what he's really saying is, even if my life is spent and I'm killed, I rejoice that that would make your faith more pleasing to God. And I'll be honest, you guys, when I was kind of going through this sermon, this was the one that inspired me the most. This was the point that really um, just fueled me the most. But it was also the point that shamed me the most. Because I think this is the hardest one. And at least for me, the way I am, I know this is what demands the most effort. Because effort. I like it when people love me. It's natural for me to be loved. But I have to work to be loving. Yeah. And that's not natural for me. And as I was studying out Paul's heart in this passage, um, I read something that I really loved, and here's what it said. It said, Paul had an absolute consecration to loving others more than he loved himself. And I look at the devotion that he has here in his heart, and I compare that to my own. You know, and uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm sure all of you guys know by now, um, or at least most of you do, but my friend Cody was killed in the shooting in Thousand Oaks. And we were going through, I was, I was going through this as that was happening. And so I was really on my mind. And, and one night as I was kind of lying there in my bed, I started to think about Cody and just kind of just who he was in his life. And, you know, I, I was his friend for a couple of years. I lived with him for a couple of years. So I got to know him pretty well. I knew it was good and I knew it was bad. And I'm not going to share too many details. There's reports out if you wanted to check. But, um... I found out that Cody was killed trying to take down the gunman. And that he was actually shot and killed charging him. And I can stand before you guys and testify that that's how Cody was. That, you know, he had some good, he had some bad, but, but for everything, he would drop anything to help somebody. And he cared for people. And I always thought that was something that I really admired in him because that's something that I don't have in myself. And he called me higher in that end. And I was thinking about my friend in his life, and when, when, at his funeral, you know, when, it, when his body was just being lowered, I thought about how I would remember him in his death. Because I'm going to remember him as a guy who was loving and a guy who was caring. But I had this thought, and it really, it really just cut to my heart when I was thinking about this passage. Because a couple of weeks ago, unjust and as crazy as it was, it, it was my friend's turn to be lowered into the ground. And before I know it, it'll be my turn. So I started to think about how do I want to be remembered when I'm gone? 
And this passage is what jumped into my head. Because I want to be somebody who is known for a selfless love for others, who is self-sacrificial. And I wouldn't stand before you guys this morning and tell you that I'm there yet, but I want to be. But I want to put that question to you this morning. Because I think this is one of the most important questions. Jesus, you know, and he was telling his disciples about this. In John 13, 35, he said, By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Paul spends all this time, he spends almost half the book of Philippians building to this point. Building to this idea of being sacrificial for each other. So I ask you, how are you doing with being sacrificial for the other people in this room? How's your love to others? I only have one, one more point, and I'll make sure I hit the right button this time. But my point is, I believe Paul, Paul writes this because living like Jesus requires little more than a selfless love for others. So that's all I have for you guys this morning. I hope you're able to take something out of that. I hope it means something to you. We're going to go ahead and close out now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'll close this out in a word of prayer. Um, if you were here last time, we did the same thing, but I'd like to ask it again. If you guys don't mind, would you mind just standing up for me? We can all stand together. We'll close out. Thank you. Just go arm in arm. Awesome. I'm going to pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for this family, Lord. I thank you for the holidays. I thank you, God, for how you've been there through everything that's happened in this crazy month. Lord, I thank you that we'll be able to go into a new building next week, God. And I just pray, Lord, that this morning you'd be able, you know, through all the craziness of the holidays and everything else, you'd be able to help us just stop for a minute and hear these words and consider how we treat your sons and daughters. Not to argue or complain, but to hold fast to your word and to love others. I pray that you would help us to grow in this, God. I pray that that would be to your glory. I pray that ultimately that would lead to us shining brighter for your other sons and daughters still out there, God. I praise you, Lord. I thank you for this time. I give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys are dismissed. One more time.